Hello, listeners, and welcome to Gadget Brew, the podcast where two friends talk about two of our favorite things, fish and beer. I am the Lizza. And I'm the kid. Welcome to episode 31. 31. Yeah. Cha. This podcast is officially older than I am. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> weird. I mean, we only do one a week, but it's still pretty impressive, I'd say. Yeah. Cool. So let's keep this uh, fish hate train going. Hate train. Yeah. Last week we talked about uh, simulcasts and hate them it basically well it basically amounted it basically boiled down to us saying that the camera angles are really shitty and the way they string them together is shitty and they need to fire the person <laughs> whose job it is that does it <laughs> well i was saying that you wanted to uh be nice come up with a positive solution yeah, yeah. so what did we i think we promoted him <laughs> to executive <laughs> producer yeah <laughs> he's in charge of sitting on his butt <laughs> I would honestly just like to know how all of that actually works. Because everything we talked about last week was speculative. Yeah. Other than the fact that you had people that you knew who worked on film crews or ran cameras for. Television cameras specifically. Right. They work at right. stadiums right. doing right. television right. Right. camera. Yeah. Something. Um, we got to do a, t- a 2.0 or volume two of that. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we would have to find someone who works in live streaming who does we that are. specifically. Both those topics from last week, episode 30, we have to do a uh, part two of. Okay. Because I think we raised a lot of good questions, but I didn't think we had many answers or solutions. <laughs> and again, yeah, we got to try to stay positive and yeah. come up with some cool stuff. Who knows, man? We might fucking change the way that they shoot simulcasts. One can only hope. Going forward. <laughs> I, go will say, I will say... <laughs> I, w- I will say this. It cannot be easy <laughs> when they're doing a gag with people coming shut up and up. down you in the air. You said that last episode and I don't want to rehash this. And finding this. a way That's to, bull crap. to shoot well, You it. just said shut up, shut up. I think it's always hard what to shoot we, the what gag. What are we raging? Uh, raging? Raging about today. <laughs> raging. <laughs> Got me all worked up already. Yeah, understand. I know. <laughs> uh, I think you wanted to talk about, because I always complain about this, like in our downtime all the time, uh, is the way that fish, I don't know how much of it's changed, but basically the tour announcements, when they announce things and kind of like how you go about buying tickets or getting tickets for certain shows. Yeah. Right. So what what <laughs> what are your gripes about it? What are my gripes about how they announce shows? Um, I could I, talk for a while, so I, I'm, I'm <laughs> being courteous and letting you go first. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, uh, that's very nice of you. I think what bothers me the most about it is just the timing, the awkward timing of it all. Like they really right. don't give you uh space to breathe. Right. Like it's a constant like pounding of just like fish is coming fish is coming fish is coming fish is coming and for me it, it takes away like i don't know like the build-up of having a show on its way so, so i i say that to say some would argue that knowing and constantly having a fish thing to look forward to is a great thing i think yeah that yeah i actually really like that and we're really lucky i i would argue the opposite i i think i would appreciate and value it more if it was still something if there was some anticipation yeah they're, they're literally taking all anticipation out of everything now yeah. because before the next thing, there's been like one or two things already released after that case in point, uh, yesterday, Monday, one twenty one was the last day of the lottery for fucking summer tour, man. Yeah. 2019 summer tour. We're in January of 2019. Yeah. I feel like we just saw them at MSG. Yeah. So I'm planning pretty flipping far ahead. 
So again, it's not about the planning for me, even though I am not a very like just generally in life like planner. Like I hate planning out things. I like them to just happen organically. I don't like to plan anything. But for me, it's more the money. And like whatever. I, I like I don't think I'm poor. I live in New York. I live in a studio apartment. I live a pretty good life. And I think I make a pretty good amount of money per year for my salary. Yeah. And I still am like struggling to keep up with fronting all this money. Yeah, but at the same time, you're still talking about what I'm talking about. It's the pace. It's the frequency. And I think that... It's, it's honestly just the money. I'm glad when they announce tours and I'm glad to see them play so <laughs> many shows. It's just having that money and fronting it. Summer tour is not for six months. Like fronting it now... For six months and like i was saying i i didn't enter the lottery this time but i think this is the second time in a row i haven't put in for the lottery and it's mostly because i can't afford to front that money right and i think it's more important to get your like hotel accommodations and like where you're staying locked down with where you want to go versus like picking up those tickets because you can always get tickets anywhere anytime to any show See, I think there's a change in the, like, buying of fish tickets nowadays, right? It's like now that fish plays less over the course of a tour, you really have to, like, strategize and, like, plan out, like, how you're going to do stuff. And then on top of that, they're yeah. making you do it ahead of time. Yeah. That's, so I like, mean, I feel like that's always been the case. Yeah, but the window has always been larger. And if, like, if they were doing, like, a whole fall tour, they would go, like, up and down the coast. So if you couldn't, like... If you couldn't catch them at one end of it, you could catch them at a tail end or something. Like, yeah, that's actually would, a good point. So, like, now it's just, like, if I don't see them, I'm not going to see them again until, like, New Year's. Or, right. or like, that. you know, so it's it's kind of putting you under stress just to figure out if you're doing something that you love. Yeah, so, right. no, for sure. So, I, I again, I'm, you know. I'm going to be a therapist, you know? So, I get to think about my feelings about it. And, like, it really takes away the, like again, this like positive energy where I'm like looking forward to it. And like you're saying, anticipating, I get to savor in like knowing that I'm going to catch something. And now it's just, it hits me so hard. Like we just finished new year's and I'm already talking about summer tour. Like I kind of wish there was a spring tour. <laughs> they used to do like, that, right? Yeah. Spring and fall tours. Now yeah. it's mainly just summer, summer, fall. And like fall and is short. New year's. And now just new year's. Yeah. yeah. And like I was saying, the 2019 summer tour that they announced is so weird. It's unlike anything that's really happened in the last couple of years, four or five years. I mean, they're not playing a Fourth of July show. They're not playing like most of the month of August. It's probably because somebody else has something else scheduled. In the studio or yeah, shows. Well, that's which is the, fine. Honestly, like this is how crazy it's getting. You now have to start keeping a calendar. Because there's so much shit going on. You, if you know when Gordon's band's like booked for, if you know when like, you know, Vita Blue's supposed to be in studio, if you know, if, like if you follow these guys on Twitter and they, like, no, all they announce all that like, on fish.com. They their, tell their you schedules? when Mike's tours coming, they'll tell you when so that's Paige what I'm goes saying, out with like, Vita Blue. They tell you uh, Ghost of the Forest. They tell you when all yeah, of them are playing. There's only so much time. Maybe Ghost, doesn't Ghost of the Forest overlap at some point in there that we're talking about? Isn't that in like April and some shit? They're, well, I know they're playing. Yeah, they're playing. It's in April. Yeah, they're playing in So April. that's what I'm yeah. saying. You're losing a spring <laughs> tour so that they can go do other shit. Like there's a give take on that. Like there's only so much time. And they have to split it so many ways. Is it fucked like, up to say? I just feel like want them seeing to focus all on the their other main side project? projects. Yeah, it's just like a watered down version of what I want them to, to do and see and be. Would That's say. fucked up, but I feel I genuinely feel no. That way. I would keep I would keep tab and I would keep Vita Blue and everybody else has to just 
<laughs> do fish. <laughs> I'm basically cutting Mike's band. But that's off. just yeah. You're just, you're just saying that because you hate Mike. <laughs> oh god. No bias at all. <laughs> I would argue, and this is again just seeing things very ideal, idyllic, in a very idealistic way. That them playing in the other bands gives them the sort of creative energy that they need to keep pushing forward. I I don't know if I'd go that far. I would say that the fact that they're touching their instruments all year round keep them locked in and honed at their craft. Yeah, um, I mean, that's definitely true. I feel true. like fish for them at this point is like hanging out with your best friend who you've had since as long as you can remember and you can like move away or like whatever and like just call each other up on the phone. It's like just where you left off. It's I like think throwing fish a party. Just, they just like yeah. to throw parties. That's well, their whole thing. I think they've also hit a level of cohesion where they can, I mean, don't get me wrong. They should still practice and they should still, you know, make sure parts are tight, but Dude, they, they have a familiarity their balls about off. it. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're uh, even while they're doing other side projects, they're still touching their instruments. It's not like, even if they weren't doing side projects, there is not a day that would go by where all those people wouldn't touch their instruments every day. Yeah. But like, I mean, they're not at a point right now in fish where they need to be like, you're, you're saying like it makes them more creative. I would actually argue that if they're splitting their attention that you could say that, you know, you're just tapping into like that much resource being diverted to a different project. Like there's only your, your brain is kind of like a gas tank. There's only so much gasoline in there that runs only so much you can like output at a given time is what i'm trying to say so if they were doing more fish shit they would be like you know creating more fish shit instead they of creating just other an stuff entire new album for I'm, halloween yeah which is probably the coolest thing they've done in a very long time yeah valid. It, it, at least in, valid. at least in 3.0 yeah that's valid which is obviously my favorite point oh <laughs> not biased at all that's fine <laughs> I get what you're saying, but you get what I'm saying? Getting back to the tour announcements, I I would love to know if they've always done this or they've always overlapped things. We talked about like planning and like how I guess they need to be more strategic planning and stuff now, but like they always play these legacy venues and they always try to get them at certain times. But again, 2019, they're not playing SPAC. They're not playing a 4th of July show at all. That's fucking weird. Yeah. They're not playing most of August. That's fucking weird. That's like the my powerhouse. That's like what reinvigorates me during a summer is going to see fish like all August. Yeah. Now it's pushed all the way up to June and July. I don't even fucking consider June to be part of summer, to be honest. Yeah. So I actually did some... You're going to be so proud of me. I did a little bit of research. <laughs> I have that. Yeah, that makes um, me proud. On this. For you. Knowing that we were, we were going to be talking about this today. And I Googled it. <laughs> But it, what's interesting is like when you presented it to me, you're like, oh, like I want to talk about like shows and timing and everything. Like I immediately had like similar keywords kind of spark up in my ears. And for me, it was every time fishes raised their ticket prices. And I Googled that specifically because this is the first time that I've ever done the lottery where as few of shows have come out to such a large sum. Every time I put in for the lottery, no matter how many shows it is or where they are, it's always at least $1,000. Yeah. At least. Which, which is fucking nuts. I just and felt like it used to go a lot farther. That's completely excluding having a hotel, having a car, having meals for that weekend or wherever you are. Like, that's just the baseline. Yeah. 
which is like just a tickets. lot. That's what I'm saying, man. I think I make a pretty good living and I just don't have like a fucking G like waiting around <laughs> to drop oh, on like fish, fish. every fish. three months. You got to find a fish sugar daddy, man. Dude, you're a woman. It's supposed to be you. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, me too. Damn, man. I was going to say, it's you're not like you're encouraging me to go out and fucking <laughs> sell, sell those boobies yeah. for, for fish shows. No, Jesus. Don't do that. Grilled cheese. You can sell grilled cheeses, man. Go freaking work the lot. <laughs> I would never do that. No, I mean, but I, but that's the thing is like, there is a part of me, and I think I brought this up on uh, J3PO's Then and Now uh, episode. Uh, which is hard to remember. That episode's really long, and we we just went. Yeah, so on talk forever. about the ticket pricing. But which I think he talked. He, he spoke about <laughs> ticket pricing, and what's interesting is that when you think about it, again, if you're playing more shows, if your tours are, they're longer, not playing more shows. No, they're if you look at the average number of shows by year, yeah, and how many total number of shows they're playing, yeah, like now it's a whole run is like, mm, I want to say the whole year is like 30, 40 shows. That's not a lot. That's not a lot at all. That's yeah, they're, my point. They're dwindling but down. But look at 1995 or like 96. Well, see, so you can like, see. Okay, that's so what I'm saying. Like the number see, but you're is going. Compa- so you're comparing the norm now to something that was unprecedented. You're comparing the norm now to something that was crazy when they were literally playing their most. Between 94 and 96, they played like the, their, the most shows they've ever played in a year. Yeah. And that's because they were just fucking starting to figure it out. Yeah, but if you do like classic <laughs> supply and demand, if you increase the volume, like the price will stay down. Here's like, I think part of the problem is the model that they're using now is only allowing ticket prices to go up. Here's what I would like to say. Fish went through a whole transitive period between when they went from playing like clubs and bars to like big arenas, right? And now they've got that like pretty much locked down. They've got all these venues they love playing at. People love seeing them at legacy venues. But I would love to know, like surrounding those places, like what the fuck they've been doing to like account for like the inflation of people that are going to be going to all these shows. Yeah. Because I don't think, I think that's the part that like everyone just fucking forgets about. Like they have to look for much larger places to play now. And I think they're getting kind of playful with it. Like they're doing the two day show in Bangor, Maine. Like I go to Maine every fucking three months and I've never been up to Bangor. Like they're doing these playful things. And like those are the shows I feel like that they're going to do like crazy ass shit. But those are big investment shows. Like invest, you got to invest well, a lot of time and money. Because I was going to say, it's going to be a big payoff. Hopefully. How many hotels are there in Bangor? Probably four. Only Whereas, a few. Like, that's what I'm saying. And the but one that, I have booked is expensive as fuck. But that's your point. I think that's part of your point. Like it'd be cool if they were doing these summer tours and shit and still using not just legacy venues, but venues that could accommodate more people. Like, I don't understand. They're playing where they want to play now. They're old. They're playing in Maine because fucking <laughs> Fishman to... lives in Maine. Why can't they play Nassau They're playing Coliseum, in New York man? and like, the East the Coast a lot because Fish fu- uh, Trey fucking lives here. Do you not? And they live in... Mike, Mike lives in Vermont, right? Mike still lives in Vermont. No, he lives here. Oh, see? Everybody that's lives what I'm here saying. but Fishman. So they're doing things that are more comfortable for them. Yeah, but would you... Yes or no? Do you think Fish could pack out Nassau Coliseum in August? What's Nassau Coliseum? That's the giant stadium, new giant stadium. Oh, giant stadium? Yeah. Fuck yeah. The, the whole thing? Yes. Do you think they... They just sold out Soldier Field, dude, for the fucking Roses Are Free, gay fucking Grateful Dead. Sorry to all of you who like Grateful Dead, but they just sold that out, and it was just Trey doing 
with what's his name so that's that's one of my points like if they can make the most amount of money why don't they? there's got to be something to this that we don't understand from like a management company perspective sure and i think again that thing that i was looking up that made me again start looking at this through this lens was this guy on fish.net was like, same with every band. This is in regards to their ticket prices going up. Same with every band that has red light management slash Capshaw. Dumb prices are up the same amount. This uh, Dave Matthews band prices are up the same amount this year, as well as Grateful Dead. It's some bullshit. Can't imagine what a festival is going to go up to. So it's like, it also seems it seems as if management companies are also having a large play into how much they can squeeze out of what they think they can get. Yeah. I I think there's a lot of hands in this pie and I don't think one like section of it deserves any less of a blame than another. I also think fish shows in general are getting harder to get to because of reselling problems. I think there's a lot going on here and it's not good for the fan in general here's something that people never consider and here's why going to see fish costs so much money fish never plays the same thing twice so when they do a run it's usually a two to four night commitment if you were going to see another artist whose tickets were cost 80 90 bucks you'd be like cool i will gladly pay 80 90 bucks for two four even maybe 10 of my friends as a treat because i'm going to see that artist one night out of the four nights they're playing in the same place because right. I know every single night it's going to be the same thing. So you only have to commit to seeing them once. Fish is completely different. That's why when people are like, oh yeah, but how much do you you know pay to go see this in MSG or how much do you go pay to see Billy Joel or this? It's completely different and you can't use that argument. You have to multiply that by four to go see Fish because the people are obviously not going to go see just one show out of a four night run. They're called runs for a reason. So automatically going into it, you know you're going to pay double, triple, or quadruple what a normal person would pay to go see a show because you have to go see the same band two three four times yeah but don't you think that's arguing to my point that the marketing of it is very much an intrinsic part to it and it's something that we should consider like fish has gotten you accustomed to doing that which is beautiful in its model but it's also unique like you're saying like what other person says i saw billy joel four nights at the garden and i watched him play piano man four times and i loved it you don't like, have to do that <laughs> that's what i'm saying you don't have to do that and i guess you can make the argument you don't have to go see four fish shows but if you don't you're gonna straight no, up miss but out you're, to your point the it's simulcast genius. now are even what 30 bucks 30 bucks yeah 24.99 are you effing it's, kidding that's me? what i was saying last episode it's ridiculous it's just again i think that there's an algorithm to this that's not wholesome and makes me love fish it's a it's a thing that is like evil and i choose to ignore and just rather not even claim it has an existence and i think that's like the organization behind it the company behind it the bureaucracy behind it the bullshit how much can we squeeze out of people and they'll still pay it but fish again is a unique band in that they People don't really sell a ton of shit they don't have like albums that are dropping like they make all of their money on playing yeah live, most, going to see them most live. artists have that type of contract most artists don't make a lot of money for the music and the albums that they you know are singing on a lot of it is just live performances where they make money yeah but that's <laughs> that's not comparable to fish no I, i'm this is a straight up touring known for playing live music and that's where they make all of their money playing live shows 
Yeah. It's just the cost of inflation, man. <laughs> it's, and I if you're it's a fish fan, that. you fucking suck it up and you do it. I think it's a lot of things. I, I mean, I had this again. I had this conversation with uh, J3PO. I thought the sheer fact that gas was so fucking cheap in the 90s can, like made it possible for someone to drive from Florida to Vegas to go see fish. Because the, the amount of money you're going to spend on gas is like maybe, you know, 60, 70 bucks. Yeah, I mean, it's affordable. Like, it it's was just also like getting affordable. networked into these fish groups. Like, if you go see shows with like a ten people, twelve people, thirty people, and you split stuff, like it doesn't cost you as much money if you're going with only a handful well, of people. So that was gonna get to build up these fucking crews, man. I was gonna say that was gonna be my <laughs> counterpoint to your point. Now it's like, what's stopping someone to get a house, Airbnb, in Bangor, Maine, and put thirty people in it and only end up spending like ten dollars a night? Yeah, I always forget about Airbnb, and I don't know why. Um, well, it's only advantageous. Like it's not if, like go to, but it's again, it's only advantageous if you roll deep. You have so a again, to split it, it's, yeah. that's where social networking, uh, social networking, Facebook and, you know, Instagram and these social media things are starting to become super handy because it's allowing people to coordinate over space that at once was like, oh, I don't have any friends around me who listen to fish. So I'm on my own. Now I can be like, hey, right, right, you right, in right. Tennessee, I know you're right. trying to see that show too. Let's meet up, split the diff. I mean, you still have to trust that person enough that they're not going to, you know, axe murder you. But it's <laughs> it's changing the way you kind of have to look at things and prepare. And I think that's the problem is that we just have our default. We think, let's go book the hotel. Let's go book all this stuff. Let's try to plan it out even as a vacation. And I think one of the morals of the story here is that even this vacation is getting pricey. Like it's getting to a point where I have to go, I could go to Europe or I can go see a couple fish shows. Which would you rather? Well, it's going to eventually get to to that point for me where I'm going to be like, all right. You'd rather go to Europe. Yeah. And it's not anything against the band and it's not against anything of other than the sheer fact that it's becoming a lot costlier. Again, lawn seats are now 45 bucks. Lawn seats. It's like, I, I'm I not that old. Like I'm thir- some venues. I know. And that's fine. I'm 30. Like I remember lawn seats for shows at PNC being like, being $12? like 15 bucks. Yeah. Like 12 bucks. Yeah. So it's like, even with inflation, like if things have more than doubled in that time, like, <laughs> Amen. It's it's becoming a business. point. It's we got to raise money for that wall. Coming to a point where there's where concerts weren't like a cheap fun thing to do anymore. You sure. actually have to like think about it. It's a strategy. It's, it's, now. it's like going to a Broadway show. Correct. Now. Correct. It's like the value of it has changed. Correct. Well, Fish has become a band you can't just do that with anymore. I mean, you can argue that going to a Broadway show, you're seeing the same thing every night, but it's slightly different because the actors are you know in a different live performance. One could make the same art. Broadway. I say that to say Broadway tickets are like $110 for orchestra seats. Sure. That's an experience. Fish shows now, if I'm putting in $100 up front to do it, I'm basically yeah. buying a Broadway ticket. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. It used to be a thing where it was just like I could go to the movies and see a movie yeah. with me and my girlfriend for 20 bucks. I used to be yeah. able to go to a fish show back in the day for like 20 bucks, me and my girlfriend, and I could bring her. <laughs> Yeah. Now it's like, oh shit! I gotta buy her a Broadway ticket. I gotta think about this. I have to invest. I have to plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's 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 holding a different weight now at this yeah. point. I mean, <laughs> you, I feel like you always have those decisions in life. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, hopefully, I think the goal in life is that you know you just end up doing better and making more money, and you don't feel the burn. Yeah. So it's like, 
unfortunately i like genuinely enjoy that i build out vacations around fish now that's like gives me the motivation to travel and to go to places and i think they're picking up on that which is why they're doing shows in like weirder spots yeah like this this tour was like banger was like off the map like just going up to maine they haven't been up to maine in a while it's been like three years fish yeah they played one show i think it was last summer tour one so and like, we wanted to go to it, but we decided not to because it was way too much to go up for one night. Yeah, but <laughs> you can bet that a bunch of people in Massachusetts and New Hampshire and like, you know, again, where a lot of their core fan base started and for a good portion, I'm sure, are still up there. Or like, shit, now I only yeah. have to drive from Massachusetts to or Maine Vermont, instead yeah. of going all the way down to the city. And like to them, they're like, upgrade. I don't have to spend as much money as I would have spent going to the city. So perspective is always going to be there. I, I just think... There is this sense of it's getting kind of crappy for everybody. But again, I'd say that that's, be, that's coming from a bunch of different sides. I just think that's maybe us getting older. I think that's maybe the way things are going. That's the way the world is headed. I There's a lot more hands would, in the bottom. There's a lot more people have to pay now. We have to ask an older fan. Um, we don't have to ask J3PO all of our old fan questions. But we should ask someone what it was like uh, trying to score a ticket in like 92 i would wonder if like one could roam the lot and actually find someone just trying to get rid of extras and do that shit because you there was no stub hub and there was no oh well, yeah, i you mean can miracle and shit dude i mean for sure people used to see that back then yeah what that do was you, the you, only way to get tickets if something was sold out going and hoping that we'd have an extra ticket right sure. so that's what i'm saying the game has changed now that anybody can drive up the price of a ticket that's why we're sitting there on freaking stub hub looking at 200 section you know mid-row tickets at msg for 150 bucks for the you know the 28th it was fucking dumb like and that's the thing was is this that, the like, first uh new year's run you didn't go to all shows for uh no there's been sh- runs where i've attempted to go to the whole thing and i could only get like three nights but that's different than this time where you didn't want to go to all four yeah it's a different tone you like made a conscious decision you weren't going to go to all four yeah and you like barely went to like the one i went to two shows yeah Yeah. and i really (laughs) only really wanted to go to one tickets fell in my lap and i took a friend of ours who's super awesome needles shout out to needles coincidentally we're gonna be drinking a beer called nettles from allagash later in the segment nice nettles is from allagash and needles is from the grave and does a awesome horror uh, VHS uh, show. Check it out. Show. We'll have link in the episode description. <laughs> yeah, that'll be my job. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Um, do we have a... I was going to say, anything else you want to... a break song? I was going to uh, say, do I'm, you... I'm just... I think I'm seeing... I think like you're saying, like I'm not trying to be... I'm not trying to speak for a general populace here. I'm just like complaining and, you know getting out like my very keyhole view of why I am getting frustrated with how much money I've been investing into fish. But again, it's, it's all worth it's it. It's not, always all worth it. I'll say it one last time for me, it's not the money. Cause it's always like been like that. And it is feels, it feels like it's getting tighter. Mm. I think it's a, because of the timing and how they announce stuff now, which is just obnoxious. Um, and I think the other thing is, is that, um, fuck. I think I think it's also because like I always want to do it all, and like yeah. not many people can do that. Not many people do do that. Like my friends who have kids, like you were saying, like they go to they plan maybe one big thing a year, and like that's what they do, right? Like so, it's just it's my like mass, just, you know, voracious wanting to consume fish everywhere, everything, every bit I can get. For me, it's like you never get a chance to just look forward to it because it's just constantly hitting you in the face. 
Like for me, it's like I want to savor. I mean, fish I think show. like two years ago they hadn't announced like anything, and people were just like, "What the fuck are they doing?" Yeah, and I like that. I like being like, "Ah, oh, man." Yeah. And I like also just I don't know. The, it seems like I'm constantly getting hit with fish news all the time to a point where it's making me less appreciative of when I hear news. That's all. Again. I never know about anything that's going on. <laughs> Thank God that my friends <laughs> use the internet and get the news and pass along. I was gonna to say me. I'm in enough fish groups now that like maybe that's my problem. Maybe I really just need to take a break from those things. I never know. I'm always happy and excited, but most of the time, whenever I hear an announcement, I'm like, God, fucking damn it! Like I just got over but, like having this. But see, it's not like a movie, right? It's not like I have a new rule with any movie that I actually want to see in theaters. I don't watch anything but the teaser trailer. The teaser trailer is like four seconds long. It flashes you the title and that's it. <laughs> like, and it works for me. All the new movies that come out, I'm, I'm really like not blown on the plot. I don't really know what's going on. And I go in super freaking fresh. But super freaking fresh. fresh. <laughs> but you have to put blockers on your face. I have to filter and you have shit. To like, yeah, yeah I have to like try it's, not it's, to see it's it. an effort to not be exposed to these but things. But to your point you made earlier, I can't afford to do that with fish because there's some asshole and sixty of his friends trying to book something before it's even booked. So I have to stay. You on have top of to it. be a troll. I have to be that's engaged. what I'm saying. I if have you don't, to do all you get left shit. in the dust, man. Yeah, and that's the problem. You're you're forced to chase something, even if you don't want to chase it. And you want to happily look forward forward to it like there was a level yes. of even though you didn't have to front the money of doing lottery there's this like level of stress that comes with knowing that you have to get your tickets on StubHub because they're not in your hand let's also talk about <laughs> have they always on fear. have they always made it where you had to select best available when you're requesting lottery no. or have you been able to like like again example i'm talking about was camden i love going to see them in camden and i prefer to sit on the lawn and i tried going in and picking lawn seats for three nights and it would not let me so instead of me investing 45 dollars on each they're forcing me to front 85 dollars on each even when that's not even what i want to do yeah i think that's fucked up yeah. why the fuck are you forcing me to take the most expensive option that's incredibly I'm, fucked I'm up i'm curious to I like see the lawn. camden i like out. the lawn yeah Camden's also interesting this year because instead of being a one-off or a two-night run, it's a whole three-day weekend. I'm really excited for that. It's a whole weekend, dude. So many more people are going to go. Yeah. And all the usual spots are going to be fucking fucked up by the wooks, like Federalist Donuts and all the places that, yeah, like I'm the four places you can go in Philly are I'm all going to be early. fucking crowded with wooks. I'm going to the donut shop. I will just be there early. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that venue. Anyway, let's stop complaining about all the shit they do I and think, just be I happy that they still play. I'm glad we shows. found a sore spot for you because you're finally not on your high ass fish is great at everything bullshit. It's been very humbling for me. That's what's bankrupting me is the fact that I want to see them all the time and go to every single thing. I can't. I got to pick what I do now. Uh, okay. Boo. And I always pick the wrong things. You've got first Just like problems. a fucking shopping line. I always pick the wrong one. <laughs> always pick the wrong thing but i learned from my mistakes no spec this year <laughs> literally the now, worst run i've ever them, seen in my life watch them do all the bust outs and do some crazy yeah maybe shit. who knows well that's <laughs> yeah, the chase that's all you gotta keep chasing keep chasing it all right we're going out on eight twenty six ninety three. this is arlene scheitze concert hall in portland oregon <laughs> see you what's the song oh life boy We'll see you after this short 15-minute break. Uh... 
swimming on the lifeline Fring bits of twine Entangled in the remnants of the Not left behind And asking you to help me make it Finally unwind But God never listens To what I say God never listens To what I say So
where the kid doesn't understand how to intro and outro cues of music. <laughs> Lucky for all you, you can hear this as often as you like, and I only have to listen to it once. We always fix it in post. Mm, fix that. How are you going to fix that? Hmm? I'm not. I'm leaving it in. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> so today, for beer, bear. I have a very eclectic mix of barrel-aged beers. Oh, no. Barrel-aged beers is going to be the topic for today. 
why where we live it is january late january it is very cold outside yesterday was the lowest it has gotten in a very long time done for the single digits so every time i'm it's like first time deathly cold yeah i always think about like dishes i can cook that take like four days that require me to leave like my oven on or my stove on or like big beefy beers or like really like warming be- beers like liquor that warm you from the inside out okay cool that's a good sell yeah i also um wanted to bring a bunch of different ones because i think that when people think of barrel aged beers their mind automatically goes to stouts Right? And there are a lot of different barrel-aged beers out there, um, and most of them aren't stouts. In fact, the GABF only has one barrel-aged stout category. The other ones are like just barrel-aged ale, barrel-aged fruit beer, like barrel-aged mixed firm beer. So there are a lot of There's different... There's only one barrel-aged stout? Category. There's only one category for a barrel-aged stout. That's crazy. Right. You have one shot, and that's it. Because there are so many, but that's because there are so many other different types of barrel aged beer. And so I brought a bunch of different styles today, and I also brought a bunch of different barrels. So this <laughs> I is brought actually, a bunch of beer brought in, aged in very, very different barrels. You know, this is something that's actually really interesting because if you're a home brewer and Thanks. you want a barrel age <laughs> beer, mm-hmm. I don't know how you find $1,200 to get a fucking cask to put your beer in. I know some people. Oh, uh, yeah? I know some people. Yeah, you're going to give me $1,200 so I can do it? Uh, I don't know people who have money, but I know people who have <laughs> barrels. So I could definitely no, but that's you what I'm barrel. saying. It's a, it's a massive investment. That's why they've started trying to figure out ways to simulate it. So you get those stupid sticks that are supposed to taste like mahogany. Yeah, or like oak or chips. Like, yeah, you're oak talking chips, about like, from like a home brewer's point of view. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's not approachable. That's, that's how I prefaced that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm saying like it's something that I can't dabble in, so I'm not obviously very familiar with it. You've never brewed me with oak chips? No. Oh, man. I even did that. I've done that. No. I made an oakage strawberry blonde, and it was actually one of my favorite beers I've ever made in my life. It was great. Do you think the oak chips added anything to the beer? No. Okay. Not at all. I didn't see. I didn't even need to wait. I just wait dumped them in there, and I dumped the strawberries in there unwashed. So it <laughs> turned into a tart beer that ended up being amazing, but I didn't understand why it was tart at all. <laughs> this is like 10 years ago when I ber- was brewing like one gallon kits of beer. But I loved it, and I nurtured it, and I babied it, and it actually, actually turned out really good. Like the four bottles I got. <laughs> it was so the worth, priming, priming so worth the one and a half months to get four 12-ounce bottles of beer. Um, Cool. So, again, tons of different styles can go into barrels, and then there's, again, just the whole side of the barrels and the barrel discussion. So you can use fresh barrels that are brand new, that have had nothing in them before. And even in that little cat, like, you know, crevice, you have American oak, French oak, you have all different types of oak, right? <laughs> you can have local oak, Hudson Valley oak. We live in New York. So there's that, the fresh barrels. And then you have barrels that are obviously recycled, right? So you have people that put beer in used uh, liquor barrels. So today I have a beer that's aged in fresh French oak. I have a beer that's aged in rum barrels. I have a beer that's aged in spy side whiskey barrels. And then I have a sort of uh, like Flanders red style aged in oak casks. So there's a ton of different styles here and a ton of different barrels here. (laughs) Are you excited to try these? Yeah. They're all bigger beers. I'm trying to figure out the cheapest freaking barrel I can buy on the internet. 
Nice. You really, what you want to do, honestly, if you're interested in doing what you're talking about, I'm going to open these beers as I'm talking, um, is you want to go to your local distilleries, right? So we live in New York. You want to go to places around New York that have barrels that could give you their barrels or sell you their barrels, like direct. Like you're my seller. I'm your partner. Like I'm coming to you as a customer. Like that's what you want to look for. I know there's a, actually a ton of breweries that would probably sell you barrels as well. So the cheapest thing I could find on a quick Google search is $100 Jim Bean Bourbon Oak Whiskey Barrels. What's the size? They're on Etsy and they're from Sunshine Barrels. 53, 53, what's, what's 53 the, gallon. 53 gallons? Yeah. Are you reading that correctly? Yeah. It's that's a, a huge <laughs> barrel. It's off of Etsy, yeah. That's, uh, the price doesn't sound right. That's like a barrel you can build a table with. Probably. They're probably I mean, not actual You, you make five barrels. gallons, right? That's like the size of a carboy? 53 it's a, gallons? It's, it's a half it barrel. It doesn't really compute. Is it a half barrel? 50, 15 that? gallons. 15.5 gallons is a half barrel of beer. So what's a full? Well, so that's 30. 30 gallons is a full barrel? Why are they so big? That's crazy. That's bigger than a giant keg that doesn't even exist. Yeah, that's the, the that's not correct. That's it probably why it's so cheap. It can't be 53 gallons. That's, I swear to God. Don't make these numbers up. I'm just saying, yeah, those are the ones, yeah, you can literally use to make tables. Like put a put a rounded piece of wood on top and make it like a table. That's I cool. And you can buy one double, for a hundred bucks. I could double batch into that. You should school these people. Shut up, don't ruin it for people. You make it worse. Um, cool. So we have a really light one to start off. Uh we have a beer from Brewery Terroir. Um, they're based out of California. It smells delicious should i tell you what it is or do you want to taste it before i tell you what uh, this it's is? sour whatever it is but <laughs> anything you put into a barrel is gonna come out sour is it because you have a cinefactor you have yeah anything? you have a ton of stuff living in that barrel that's gonna contaminate that beer really yes every time this is one of my favorite <laughs> beers that they do um it's called saison or dennis it's a saison aged in oak footers so French oak footers. And this beer is entirely matured and fermented in oak. And that's why I think it tastes so funky. There's no primary fermentation. This beer goes from being brewed to putting, being put directly in an oak footer. For all of you, those of you out there, a footer is just a really fancy word for like a giant barrel that's like a size of a fermentation tank. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. I want one. So you can ferment giant batches of beer and said wooden. Allagash is a really cool place to go see that thing exist. So again, this beer is straw gold, very light. It's a Saison style. So it's pretty much everything you expect from a Saison. Um, it is tart. It is kind of like lemony funky, which I like a lot. It's that high, bright acidity. Um, but, and it's that clean oak, right? Obviously say, this no beer, bite. well, obviously this beer is not going to pick up any residual flavors because you're putting it into fresh oak. So you're just looking for that, like literally like wood taste, like a French wood. Yeah. But I actually think that mellows it out quite a lot. It does indeed. This beer will be a lot more perceptively, uh, tart and funky if it didn't have that nice general round, round finish like that. You taste, you taste the barrel on the finish. Nice. What do you think of this? The kid gets a point, half point. Yeah, no, you're right. I didn't know why, but I, I knew it was a thing. 
I like this beer. Uh, I think because I, like I think because it's been aged in the wood that it's been aged in. Again, it has it's been dialed down a lot. And my problem with a lot of sour beers is that they're so bitter. Uh, it's, it's my criticism sour. of anything so that's dry or sour. I don't yeah. want to drink a beverage that's going to leave me wanting water more. So for it's you know for it being stylistically sour, it's pleasant. Yeah, yeah. Well, so again, this beer is a saison base. This beer is a saison. They brew a saison, and then all they do is put it in fresh oak, and they let it ferment in fresh oak. Yeah, but this—I mean, it came. They're French oak barrels. So, what do Correct. you think were in the barrels? Nothing. They're fresh French wood, French oak. That's what I'm saying. This is a fresh barrel. Oh, okay. This is us- using an example to show you what fresh oh, so wood the funk tastes the like. Wood. That's interesting. Exactly. Just the acetobacter living in the wood. That's crazy. Yes. Huh. This is supposed to be teaching you how different barrels affect different beers. How sweet. You should have led with that. <laughs> I described all Instead four different beer styles we have and all the different <laughs> barrels that there were. Instead, you so, just got me all hooked up on saying there's only one type of stout. <laughs> no, I prefaced it by saying that I think when a lot of people think barrel-aged beers, their minds automatically go to like imperial stouts. Yeah. Because that's typically and classically what you would age in a barrel. Yeah, you're, th- you're throwing these whiskey barrels. You're throwing these, wo- you know, bourbon barrels, these rum barrels, and what do you put in them? I was gonna say it's if very I, easy to be I, like, oh, a stout would pick up all these so like caramel, vanilla, like all the flavors you would get from that. Here's a better question to you, the Cicerone. If I name an a barrel that has been used in a specific way, can you tell me a different style of beer without renaming it? Uh, I don't know what you're. Just so said. I say whiskey. Okay. Tell me a beer made in whiskey barrels this one we're tasting one today we're okay. tasting a mckeller a chipotle porter agent spy side whiskey barrels which is very rare whiskey and this beer is retired and it has not been made in years i think this beer is actually like 12 years old we're about to try porter so it's a porter so now tell it's me a, a, tequila, a tequila barrel beer that's not mckeller's done it mckeller's done tequila rum vodka they've done the, you know how they do like the whole yeast series and the whole hop series they've done a whole barrel aging series where they have this i think it's called black hole stout okay <laughs> it's funny it's like your butthole black hole stout no it's, and a, it's the same it's base a very specific beer. dog's butthole <laughs> exactly it's the same base beer so it's the black hole stout aged in every single different type of barrel they could get their hands on and each bottle was released the same with the same label and had different color foil tops to denote the different barrels cool that's typically what a lot of brewers do they do like one batch of beer and they split it between like the different types of barrels they could get and then you can really have a very definitive understanding of like the flavors that each liquor residually imparts in a beer but you have to keep this the same control beer. And that's what I'm saying. Obviously, it's a stout, an imperial stout. You want to put something really big and high ABV that can sit in these barrels for a while. That's the other thing, right? There are breweries out there that say, oh, we have barrel-aged beer. But if you read the label really, cl- you go up to it, it's, you know, light amber. You go up to it, it says, this beer has been sitting in this barrel for six weeks. Do you know the flavor you're going to get off it in six weeks? Nothing. They might as well not be advertising that they fucking barrel aged the beer. Most of these big beers need to sit in these barrels for years, years and years and years. Every time you go to Elias, you see all the labels are, lab- are chalked with the year. And some are going back as far as 2000. Well, that's why it's really hard for any brewery to start up a program like this because you have to sit on beer for so long. It's you have not, to have the space. It's such a cost. Yes. Like, again, 
cost benefit analysis should be the fucking theme of this episode. But when you do that with barrel aged beer, like it costs a fuck ton of money because you're wasting all that space. Well, traditionally and typically when a brewery expands, they don't abandon their old space. They turn that into the barrel aging facility and then they operate production value production wise out of their new facility i mean get out of here oxbow has a blending station fucking bissell brothers has a whole second location just for barrel aged shit foam in vermont has a whole separate house of fermentation just for barrel aged shit like you like i the only people i can think of that don't devote their space exclusively to barrel aged shit are those people in connecticut what is it oec is it oec yeah and that's their jam is what they, they blend. So like they're constantly doing that. So they're like by trade going to do that anyway. Like most places, once they, like you're saying, get the space, even when we went to, um, where the fuck did we go in Colorado? And um, where the hell did we go? Help me out here. Uh, Avery? Avery. Their like whole cold storage unit. I remember walking in there and they just turned it into a barrel age program. And they were already even being the massive brewery that they are. We're pushing out of that space already. It's just because you have to sit on shit forever. Space. It yeah. space. It's dumb and dumb and dumb. And a industrial size batch of beer is what? Usually 15 gallons. Industrial? That's a yeah. s- very small. Industrial. So that's what I'm saying. So then think of how like many barrels you have to fill for one batch of beer. I know. And then sit on it forever. Correct. That's and then insane. blend them back together. Yeah. That's why most of these beers cost a lot of money, but it's, you have to walk yourself through the time and the patience and the babying and all of that that has to go the process that has to happen for it to get into this bottle. I'm just thinking the feedback, right? So I made my first lager uh, about a month ago. It's actually in secondary right now cleaning up. And what's interesting to me about watching it age is just figuring out that when I tasted it coming off the boil with its hop characteristic at that point has completely changed a month later so it's like now thinking about loggers from a recipe development standpoint i have to be like front loading how i think the hops are going to degrade after a month which then makes me like think even deeper like now when i actually serve this it has to have a shelf life of six months so i really have to make it hoppy enough to last eight months worth of shelf life so what really is like a 13 ibu beer i'm really talking like almost doubling it and making it like 26 ibus because the hop degradation over that much amount of time means that by the you know someone's like three months in they're probably having the beer where i expect it to be that's insane that's insane that's That's right right. (laughs) the forward planning is outrageous and most of the time after they blend beer and put it in a bottle for you they then say that that beer can be laid down pretty much forever yeah we had a buddy of ours who brought you back a beer that had one of those stickers on top where like it couldn't be opened until a specific year and west mall yeah so west mall is cool they actually put on the cap of the beer when they when you are allowed to open it or when it's aged i don't know how many years it's been but that's when they tell you it's optimal i thought we were told like typical typical amount even if you buy one there is like three years you have to wait at least three years yeah i think it is three years yes so if you go there and you pick up a fresh one from the brewery in belgium yeah you have to it says on the top three years from now is when this beer is going to be best to drink yeah for sure that's nuts. That I mean, again, imagine how long of a time you've been handing down one specific recipe and you still might not have it yet. Yeah. You could be like eight or nine generations into this beer 
and be like, I've been brewing this beer for a quarter of my life and I still don't know what it is yet. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> why like I didn't laugh at people because I obviously like to encourage people to do what they want. But anytime a home brewer tells me they're making like a sour, like a like a, you know, like a Flanders red or something, I'm just like, yeah, that's crazy. You're going to like let that sit for three years somewhere in your apartment or some shit. It's weird. Yeah, I actually uh, at a friend of ours birthday met a guy like that where he had he bought a bunch of uh, SS conical fermenters. And he said one of the reasons why is so that he could free up his carboys and exclusively do shit in the carboys. And then because the SS uh, conical fermenters, you can completely stabilize uh, with a um, a glycol system. He was like, this is my sour aging program now. And yeah, I was like, wait dope. a second. You're going to leave shit in this conical fermenter for years? He's like, that's why I got them so for absolute perfect temperature control. Now, like, again, from a homebrewer standpoint, imagine you can't lose power. Like, these shits have to sit in your garage for three years <laughs> and nothing has to happen to them. Should we try the next beer? Yeah. It's a Petrus Eau de Brune. It's a beer from Belgium. I wanted to bring you something not from the United States. Yeah. Belgium, exactly where we were just talking about. I was just uh, like feverishly scanning this bottle to find out how old this is. And I have to like enter some code on some website. This beer is at least 10 years old. Are you just using this episode to clean out all your beer that you've laid down for years? Is that what's going on right now? No. I'm trying to teach you something and you're just just ignoring me and babbling about homebrew, which is what you do in every fucking show. And that's cool. So if you get anything out of this, that's cool. If not, whatever. I at least get to drink really cool rare beer. So Ode Brune Petrus, it is a Ode Brune style that falls into like the Flanders red, like sour category, like a Rodenbach or like a Duchess de Bourgogne or a Monks, that type of thing, like a red, brown, dark, sour. Okay. And if you'll notice this beer is brown, so they call it a brown and Ode Brune. Um, and basically it's brewed with the finest hops and malt varieties and matured in oak barrels for 20 months. And then, as I said, this bottle that we're tasting is probably about 10 to 12 years old. It smells like candy, straight candy, syrup. I think this beer is really good. <laughs> this is probably the first Ode Brune style you've ever had in your life. So I'll be quiet and you tell me what you think of this beer. It tastes like plums, like it's kind of tart. Um, it's actually like for a beer as old as it is, it's like not as crazy like vinegar finish as I thought it would be. Like when beer gets, there's super no all flavors, and this beer say. is completely carbonated, which is insane. Yeah, Belgians know how to brew, man. <laughs> I just want your perceptions of this beer in this style. To me, it tastes like the classic, like, like Belgian, yeah, like Belgian, like brune like i think there's no tartness on this at all and you really don't get much of the barrels in it at all because the age has caught up with it so i'm getting more of like you were saying like raisin plum like that intense sort of like sherry flavor yeah it tastes like port yeah port that kind of thing so like that's kind of what's dominating my palate um but like i for for a 12 year old beer i think this is i would have this with like a piece of cheesecake Mm. and have this like something sweet I would have this with like a crazy moldy ass sharp cheddar. Gross. Mm-mm. Gross. Mm-mm. I would have it like creamy cheese, not like like crumbly cheese. I want like something. I just, I am, anytime I taste any like 
bread crust notes. I always want a cheddar cheese with it to make my brain trick my brain to thinking I'm eating a grilled cheese because that's like my favorite thing in the whole world. Lame. I think this beer would go good with any cheese or I or, could, or bread. I, it's I, like a very much like an aged wine or port, like you were saying. I would have <laughs> honk honk. I would have this with a uh, honk pancakes. if you love petrosoid brune. <laughs> actually, it's like petrosoil. <laughs> Uh, no, actually, th- for breakfast, this could be really good with like a waffle. Yeah, pancakes, mm. waffle, yeah. Yeah, dude, that's great. That's a really good pairing. See, <laughs> see, see, it's like a, I don't know how to, how to eat with beer. I just got to learn how to Honestly, it. that's uh, the hardest part for a lot of people is doing pairings. Oh, it's really? It's something that people really don't understand. I would bet. And I think again like you always say to me like because people always cooking think to me is fun opposite. and easy it, but it's because like i conceptually understand like flavors that go together and what to blend just as it's second nature and i think pairing beer and food is like that for certain people if you love food and you've traveled and you understand certain flavor profiles i think it's easy to to pair beer with food but if you are kind of unfamiliar with that and really green and young like when you're young, all it's you want to do is get fucked up. So all you're looking for is the beer with the highest alcohol. You don't drink it with anything. Or it's not up. bad. It's like, yeah, you either want to pound them and not have to think about it, or you, yeah, you want to get fucked up as fast as possible. I was fucked up as fast as possible. All right. Needles? A little closer to home. Yeah, we're bringing it back a little closer to home. Thank Nettles? you, Petra, so This is good. Big shout out to yeah, Allagash. It's, ca- it's called Nettles because it's brewed for this guy at the brewery named Ned. Yeah, well, this is my favorite brewery in the world. So okay, so I'm the excited. reason why I wanted to taste these back to back is because this beer, Nettles, is a same style, a Flanders red brown style. So as you can see, just holding them up, they look pretty similar. Yeah. So it's going to be a sour, but it's going to have that malt body behind it to kind of give it that oomph. And this is aged in rum barrels. So I love, I love tasting beers in really unique, unusual barrels. And rum is kind of, you know, rum is really a little different sweet. than bourbon. It's sweet, too. I wonder what that does to the ABV. Like, I'm sure it spikes your... Uh, Oof, it's good. Like, I'm sure once you do the reading after you've put it back into the rum barrels and you take the reading, like, after a week or two, I'm sure, search, like, fermentation has, like, gone back the fuck But you up. can blend all that down, right? Like, that's, again, the art of blending. It's getting it to the flavor you want. It's getting it to the consistency you want. It's getting it to the alcohol you want. Yeah, so again, this beer is stylistically very similar to the Petroso Brune that we just had. Yeah, but this is unfair to compare because this is so much fresher and like there's such more of like a presence. This beer was bottled in 2015, so it's already three years old. And that one's how long? The Petrum? I thought you said it was 12 years 12, old. 12, at least 12. Uh, so there's a significant difference in the two of them. Really what you should be picking up here is the rum because these two styles of beer are very similar to each other. So the only difference is this was an oak, the Petrus was in oak casks and the Nettles is in rum barrels. See characteristics of rum that I would expect to transfer over that don't or the, like the spicy like notes of it. You don't get that? No, it blends in with the carbonation too much. So I get try, it Okay, I get try it taking a little tiny sip, a very tiny sip and letting the liquid uh, exist underneath your tongue in the bottom of your mouth. Dude, if you taste them and next to each air, other... aerate, and then get those flavors. One of them is like... One of them is... <laughs> is like eating a piece 
of um, milk chocolate, like the the sugariest like milk chocolate sure. you could ever have, and then uh, drinking the uh, the nettles mm-hmm. is like eating a bitter piece of baking chocolate. I really don't understand the analogy at all. One of them is like sweet and smooth and like reduced. The Petrus, the sweet and smooth and yeah. reduced, because it's older. Yes. Right. And the nettles is like a bitter cooking chocolate. It's like the freshest that thing is ever. I don't know. <laughs> I noticed. I think a you don't know anything about chocolate. For somebody chocolate. who's allergic to it, you chocolate. probably shouldn't be using it in an analogy. Describe the differences to me. Not not in regards to chocolate, because I think you're swinging in a miss with See, that analogy. I think, I think Describe the differences to me, honestly. You can't taste. Uh, this beer tastes like is, just straight rum to me. Oh, uh, man. You drink a lot more rum than I do. I love though. rum. Yeah, so maybe I'm just more attuned to picking out those. Fl- I, that's, but that's spicy, exactly what the, I get the, is the spice. Yeah, but it's all at the end, and it yeah. blends in with the carbon carbonation, so it's like a lingering thing. Correct. It's not like up front in your palate. Again, so if I were to drink them next to each other, the, what I get out of the Allagash is straight tart, whereas the, the Petrus has like had 12 years to mellow out. So, so there is le- no it's less, tart it's period. It's tart, for sure, for it's sure. It's just straight grain bill. That beer is tart. That beer is funky. Dude, it tastes like maple syrup next to the nettles. I don't know how you don't see it. I could literally dribble that on some bacon and be happier than a pig and shit. How Not much of the rum do you taste? the bacon that I was going to eat. How much of the rum do you taste as opposed to sourness? Like you would argue the sourness the of this sourness, is overtaking uh, the, the rum? Yeah, that's why the spiciness is a lingering taste. The tartness is so powerful that you get that first. And it Great. lingers long enough that like you slowly like the spiciness like seeps in there and then it just hangs out. And that's so the all perfect next progression then is to taste a darker beer aged in bourbon barrels to see if you oh can pick God. up a bourbon. I do drink a lot of bourbon, so I feel more palate attunement. Can one have palate attunement? Is that a thing? I don't know what attunement means. Attunement is like uh you're uh, you don't know what that uh, that's not even a real word look it up on the internet attunement atonement Uh, maybe and that's like atoning for your sins like being sorry was an early term adopted by (laughs) practitioners of energy manage of energy medicine originally developed by lloyd otha mika attunement as a central feature of his spiritual teaching and ministry so I'm getting into some culty shit, but I don't know. I'm more attuned to bourbon is all I was trying to say. All right. So should we do a little bit of the McKellar? The barrel aged Chipotle Porter? Um, this is just designed to see if you can pick up the bourbon notes. And this beer is really old, and it should have mellowed out completely, so you should be getting a lot of bourbon notes. Sweet. Is this it? This is it. No, you have to finish your Uh, nettles. Don't call me out, okay? I I appreciate our buddy Ben that came on when he was talking about, like, how he would buy beers – uh, with a buddy of his and they would go like away for a weekend and like a log cabin and drink these. I now completely understand hundred percent where he's coming from. 
Yeah, Split I a mean, look at you. Yeah, you go to any plastered. you go to any person's apartment, or you talk to anybody who has any type of beer collection. All they're sitting on is imperial stouts, barrel aged imperial stouts. That's like what you end up having because nobody's like, yeah, let's go drink a fucking barrel aged imperial stout together at this party. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's very rare to find people who this is the style they drink and it's the style they drink regardless. We actually met a guy when we were in Las Vegas. He loved imperial stouts. Like, that was his jam. Like, all he wanted was imperial stouts in a fucking what 90 degree like he didn't care like this he liked that style so that's much yeah, that's, that's what nuts. he wanted but that person is you know far and few between yeah he's an outlier uh that's like uh you know we traveled down to new orleans at one point and we met a guy Ooh, who only drank so sours sorry he only drank sours yeah it's weird you hate this i bet uh, it's terrible it tastes like chocolate the chipotle is really dropped off the, the spiciness is really dropped off, but I do think you taste a lot of the bourbon. I get a little bit of the chipotle at the end. I don't know if that's because I'm having it on the heels of something that tastes like rum. So the spiciness from that is, is that still going in your palate? Yeah. yeah, a little bit. I don't yeah. Know. Hey, but I am happy that I'm at a point now where I can draw that commonality and it actually could lead to causality. <laughs> as this beer warms up, as this beer warms up, you're going to get a lot more of the chipotle. Yeah. But I think you t- can taste a lot of bourbon, which oh. is really cool. So here's what happens. Typically, when you put a p- ton of bells of whis- bells and whistles into a dark beer, say you put coconut, you know, say you put chipotle, say you put chocolate, whatever the fuck you put into a beer. As that beer ages, most of those flavors either A, develop or B, drop off. So you have to know what ones are going to develop and you have to know what ones are going to drop off. And typically a beer that's this old, again, this beer is probably like eight years old. Um, You're going to end up getting that sort of vanilla bourbon caramel, like those notes from bourbon is going to overtake everything else that was put into this beer. That's why the Chipotle is diminished and why the bourbon's kind of sticking out. Here's my problem. When there's such a strong flavor of something that I don't like, I don't understand how... You can't look past it. Even within my respected style, I'm supposed to taste more subtle notes. Because Mm -hmm. that taste is so overbearing on my palate, and it's something that I don't like so much. And when you start talking about other things like bourbon notes and like whatever, and I I actually would argue that this beer at its freshest probably would have been the best for me. I was in love with this beer when it first came out. And like that's truthfully how I feel about beers in that are barrel aged in any way. Like I actually would argue that I need to have it in its most freshest state so that everything is as it's supposed to be and those liquor notes pull through more i think the only ones of the things that you've showed me so far are is the one what is it the nettles with the rum yeah rum barrels the only because that spiciness is just so distinctive but what's interesting is that all the sweetness that i would expect a rum barrel to retain is not there it's not like overbearingly sweet but that could just be being overtaken by the tartness Right. And they've blended it up so that you taste more of the tartness as yeah. opposed to more of the rum. So what's interesting to like, I don't know. I think what I would want to see is how, how if you gave it to me with like the sweet notes intact, like how that would taste. I think I would like it a little more. Interesting. But that's just me. Like I've always cool. come at things from a sweet perspective. That's For just sure. my palate. For sure. Has this taught you anything today at all about barrel aged beers? 
Uh, I think when it comes to barrel-aged beers, you've taught me that I don't have to just as- automatically assume that they're dark styles, which makes me happy to pursue uh, researching them a lot more because I can find things that are not yeah. porters and stouts. For and sure. you know, Yes, 100%. So it, it makes it more approachable for me. I don't know that I learned anything about my personal taste towards specific liquors. Like, I don't know if a whiskey, you know aged something is going to be better for me than a tequila or a gin aged something like i can't stand gin so we could maybe do we can maybe do a vertical tasting of something at some point if i can get like a couple different versions of the same beer aged in different barrels maybe that would kind of yeah i think that would illuminate a a little bit more maybe you were you were able to pick up detect the basic differences between the barrels like you can tell the difference between a fresh oak barrel versus a bourbon barrel or rum barrel like that yeah you know the difference yeah, they're different the different flavor profiles you get but one of the reasons i think that is is because i had them all next to each other i think if right. these had all been one offs at a random bar that happened to have them on their menu and i tasted them yeah if you had asked me a year later if i knew the difference i'd be like Phew. i actually uh was very obsessed as I said, when the McKellar Black Hole series came out with the tequila, I was at very for a very long time. I was obsessed with beers aged in tequila barrels, and this was before I even liked tequila. But agave and tequila to me have that like weird salty, like briny quality, and that always kind of carried over into the beer. And I think it would just maybe made it taste more like a goza to me, and that's my favorite style. But tequila is a really interesting one. If I can find a tequila barrel, I'll I'll taste you on that at some point. That sounds great. Cool, man. Well, that's all I have for this segment. I hope it's long enough. (laughs) Anytime I say, I want to say anytime we've ever done the beer tasting segment and we have more than two beers. Yeah. We always blow the lid off. It just takes so much time to talk about each beer, open up and try. I think if you listen to this podcast, if that's something that you realize, then you accept it. If we're going to try six beers, that segment's going to be an hour and a half. Long. I think this was a really <laughs> good, like, rainbow of I think they had to be next barrels to each other. and yeah. styles. Yeah. And, I, and I think, yeah, it Absolutely. should have unlocked, like, something for you or at least given you just a little bit more now to play around with when you drink a barrel-aged beer. Yeah, I also got to see a really interesting difference in terms of beer that's laid down as opposed sure. to beer that's fresh. Yeah, for sure. Within this style, which I think for sure. is... When when you're talking about like opposite opposite ends of a continuum, they're but really good why, anchors to have. That's why the most coveted thing of all beer nerds is to do what's called a vertical tasting. It's to take a beer, one beer, and to have every single year of that beer and to taste literally through the progression of what happens that's to it to cool. an aged beer. Yeah, you can literally amazing. taste how a beer ages. That's insane. Good ones for that, I recommend, are the Goose Island Bourbon County Stout or the Founders uh, KBS Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Those are two pretty like easy ones to have access to where you can do that. And I know I've known a couple people who have done, I think, all the way from 2000, 2000 up to like 2015. So f- five years, you know what I mean? Like Or 10 years, they've had a lot of different ones. That's actually pretty cool. I think that's maybe the next thing we should try, a vertical tasting of something. That's pretty awesome. I, how does one get at, like you? Do you have to you have n- to collect it each yeah. year? You have to be a collector. You got to be a hoarder. 
But then not only do you have to collect it, somehow it has to pan out right that by the time you have the one for 10 years, you've had nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, and one. And not only like, that, you have to keep them at optimal storage temperature. That's insane, and stop like so it should be aged on its side, not standing up or standing up, not aged on its side. You have to make sure it's a g- cool, dry, 70 degrees. Like you have to make sure, just like wine, again, that that beer was kept in the most pristine, perfect elemental like environment where you're actually going to get to taste that progression so not to extend the conversation much longer real (laughs) quick answer yes or no yeah do you think that's why people uh choose the darker beers to age because they're more robust and they can last on the shelf given the outrageous conditions they might be susceptible to no huh do you think people think that that's why no, okay, it is good. recommended so that when know. you want to lay a beer down, any beer, any style, for however long, that is stored at cellar temperatures. That's a, and a, that's exactly what you want the environment to be: dry, dark, and cool. You can't just keep these in your fucking closet if you live in Florida and it gets up to 100 degrees and think that three years later this beer is going to taste good. See, for me... It's not. It's just going to taste oxidized and shitty. I was going to say, for me, it was like figuring out that like posters, like band posters need to be stored a specific way same thing with records you have to store records vertically not down or else they get warped like it's the same thing as anything they should be on the instructions when you buy it the first time but at the very least you're going to get some idea of what the progression of the aged beers tastes like if it's not in the most perfect amazing way that's the way it is but you're at least going to get some vague idea of what a beer that ages tastes like yeah Word. Well, I learned this something today. This was really today. fun. I had to, this was a good beer segment. Yeah, right? Barrel aged beers, dude, pull one out. If you guys are like me and have just the cellar full of beer, pull one out. It's January and cold and blustery. Great way to warm yourself up is to have a nice little beer. Share a nice little barrel aged beer. That's cute. <laughs> That's so cute. Well, until you said that, it was good. <laughs> What are we going out on? Uh, we're going out on Boardwalk Hall, Atlantic City, 1031, 2010. This is Divided Sky. The wind blows higher. Thank you guys for joining us on this episode of God You Brew. I apologize for having the same show be the intro and the outro, but stay tuned. There's so much to get through and so many beers to plow through. Did I do that again? Yep. Oh, oh well. It's cool. <laughs> it's the nature of the way your brain works. You get a little window into it. See you next time.